We are so pleased to announce a beautiful new addition to our family. So begins a typical birth announcement that leads to a date, a name, and maybe even the place where the child was born. In sending the announcement, the parent uses special stationery or a uniquely designed template because the parent is pleased, proud, and anxious to let friends and family know the good news. What would a birth announcement for Jesus sound like? John's Gospel provides us with one. And the Word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory as of a Father's only Son. What would a birth certificate for Jesus look like if birth certificates were a thing in His day? What information would be printed on it? This Advent, the pastors will share commentary on this imagined certificate in our sermon series, Jesus' Birth Certificate. Join us as we consider the good news announcement of Jesus' birth and explore the significance of one who was born among us but lived as God with us. Let us pray. Holy God, we ask that what came to Joseph in a dream might come to us. Your word for the living of our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. A tradition in my house is that on a daughter's birthday, we tell the story of her birth. And my daughters so enjoy hearing these stories that I decided to ask my mom to tell me about the day that I was born. Mom, what do you remember about the day that I was born? I don't remember anything. (laughs) No? Nothing? No, not really. Can you remember going to the hospital or if it was a long labor? No. Can you remember whether it was daytime or nighttime? No, I can't remember that either. You don't remember anything? Honey, I had three boys born a year apart from each other. I can remember being in labor. I can remember being in a hospital room. I can remember holding babies, but I don't remember which one was which. Ugh. I so wanted to hear how she felt when she held me for the first time and what I looked like through the tears of joy in her eyes. (laughs) But I have to remember, she does have a point. I mean, I probably wouldn't remember much, if anything, if I were in her place. I was one of seven children and, as she said, was the last of three boys born one after the other. And besides, I'll take what she doesn't remember over what my father remembers any day. My father father remembers going into the hospital room and saying, how could a baby's head be as big as his body? (laughs) I'm not without details about my birth, however. When mom couldn't remember the details of my birth, I remembered that I have a copy of my birth certificate. Birth certificates are handy things. I already knew that I was born in Bainbridge, Georgia on May 20, 19-something. But my certificate also lets me know that I was born at Riverside Hospital at 9.17 p.m., which means if you add the hours up, I am almost seven days younger than Millie, who was born just after midnight on May 14. That's almost a week, Millie. And if I became suspicious as to why my mother didn't remember my being born, her name and my dad's name on the certificate put to rest any thought that I might have been adopted, which would have explained why my dad is good at math and my mom is good at counting cards and I'm good at neither. 
And now I have an explanation as to why I have a terrible memory. I inherited that from mom. A birth certificate offers specifics. It illustrates that each child is unique and particular. Now, birth certificates were not required in Jesus' day, as far as I know, but let's be clear just how specific Jesus' birth was. He wasn't born everywhere. He was born somewhere. He wasn't born at all times. He was born on a specific date. And he wasn't born the child in every family, but as a child of a particular family. F.D.L. Bruner calls it the scandal of particularity. The apostle Paul called it a scandal to the Greeks. He called out the Greeks because they, as a people of philosophy, had the hard time imagining how the God of eternity could live in a particular human life in a particular time at a particular place. Matthew's gospel doesn't hide from the scandal of particularity, but instead magnifies it by bringing a cultural scandal into the conversation. Listen for what I mean and listen for the word of God. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they had lived together, she was found to be pregnant from the Holy Spirit. Her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to divorce, that's what the translation says, but it's a word for when you leave a fiancé as well, so planned to leave her quietly. But just when he resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save people from their sins. Now, all this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel commanded him to do. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had given birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. The word of the Lord. A very specific word of the Lord, don't you think? Our Advent sermon series will be about specifics. The sermons will fill the blanks in on an imaginary birth certificate. And today we fill in the baby's name. The baby's given name, not the baby's nickname. You heard the passage provide both. Nicknames are often more descriptive of a person than a legal name because there is usually something about the person that inspires it. Lefty Drizel is, of course, left-handed. Stonewall Jackson was called Stonewall because of his stubborn courage at Bull Run. My sister Scotty was born, guess where? Scotland. Now those are nicknames that are given in hindsight. The prophet gives Jesus a nickname in foresight, anticipating what Jesus will become. Emmanuel means God with us. And the nickname fits because the Gospel of Matthew goes on to tell how Jesus lives up to that nickname. 
His teachings are going to reveal God's will. His action will reveal God's justice and compassion and love. His life and death will be the means by which God's light will shine. Those who get to know the adult Jesus and become a part of the early church will say, you know, when we got to know Jesus, we got to know God. He was God with us. But that's later. You don't put nicknames on birth certificates. So let's put a formal name on the certificate. And in that day, the most formal way that you could introduce someone was not only by name, but by relationship. So let's imagine Joseph answering the question, um, what is going to be the child's name in this way? Yeshua ben Yosef, or Jesus, son of Joseph. Our imagining Joseph answering this way honors the spirit of the passage and honors the glory of Joseph. The glory of Joseph is that despite his and Mary's reputation being open to question, he adopts his fiancé's child that is not his own. He does what is right after being tempted to do what is righteous in the world's eyes. Another way of putting this is that Joseph, as a righteous man, is led by God's Spirit to do what Jesus is later going to ask other righteous people to do. Joseph is asked to reconsider what righteousness really means. When he first hears that Mary is pregnant and knows that he is not the father, he vows to do what he thinks is righteous, what his culture tells him is righteous. He thinks that the right thing to do is to help Mary and no doubt himself save face by separating from Mary and quietly leaving the scene. This is the righteousness of culturally accepted norms. I say that without disdain because culturally accepted norms are what give stability to communities and hold them together. When we abandon norms of decency and protocol, institutions, communities, even nations can fall apart. Following Robert's rules of order has been a great blessing for many meetings that could easily have dissolved into personal and hurtful chaos. But socially acceptable norms are not always healthy. And even when they are healthy, they need to be reconsidered from time to time. Sometimes true righteousness is doing what needs to be done even when deemed wrong by those considered righteous. Joseph hears in his dream that he is to marry his fiancée even when so many would tell him that he has the right, that he should leave. Now, maybe in the glow of the Christmas season now, it would be easy to say that Joseph did the right thing, but it could not have been easy if it took a powerful vision to change Joseph's mind. But Joseph does change his mind and does the right thing, even if the righteous might condemn it. Well, it turns out that Jesus is just a chip off the old block. The father is seen in the son. Now, you've heard that said about Jesus many times, but I bet most of the time you're thinking of God the Father being talked about, that Jesus is a reflection, bears the image of God the Father. Well, Jesus will not only bear the image of his Father in heaven, he will also bear the image of his adoptive Father on earth because Jesus is going to be that adult who will do what is right even when righteous people tell him he is wrong. 
He will welcome the company of the condemned. He will include the company of the excluded and touch those who are deemed untouchable. Over and over again, he will do what is right and loving for the moment and for the person who is standing right there in front of him or lying there before him. And some of the righteous of his day will question him and then they will argue with him and then they will condemn him and then finally call for his death. And Jesus will die a condemned criminal. He will sacrifice his reputation as being righteous for the sake of what is right. But that's jumping ahead to Lent. Let's stay in the first Sunday of Advent and consider again what Joseph does. Joseph trusts God's voice in his life. He trusts this voice that leads him and tells him what to do, even though it does not go with what others would say he should do. He trusts that it's God's spirit who is bringing this child into his world, and he trusts that it's God's spirit who is bringing Jesus into his life. And so he does what God asks him to do through the angel. He claims Mary as his wife. He claims Jesus as his son. He says, this is my son, and he brings Jesus into his family and life, even if it's going to be at the cost of his reputation. And here's something interesting. He does that without talking about it. At least that's how Matthew's gospel presents Joseph. Nowhere in Matthew's gospel, or any of the gospels for that matter, do we ever hear Joseph saying anything. He is not quoted even once. He is remembered not for what he says. He's remembered for what he does. And that's why we should honor him. In that sense, I suggest that Joseph is a particularly important guiding light for us Christians and for congregations today in this age of virtue signaling, which we might think of as righteousness posturing. It is popular today to prove one's virtue by letting the world know where you stand and whose side you are on. It's buying into the world's myth that we're going to be somehow saved by our works, that we'll be able to figure out life's problems and eradicate evil with our best efforts if we only get with the right team. But tyrannies are born from selling this kind of mythology. Joseph, if properly understood, would be out of favor in our day because he knows what his culture expects of him if he's going to be considered righteous. He knows his crowd. He knows his crowd. The crowd that would support him leaving Mary is the crowd that might look down on him if he doesn't. So I see Joseph and those who act in the best interests of their loved ones, even when their loved ones don't understand it, don't like it, or agree with it. I see Joseph and those who work to, who at work insist on what is ethical, even when others around them insist that the profit end fully justifies the unethical means. I see Joseph in government leaders who, when it really counts, go against their party to say what is true and what is right. I see Joseph in Palestinians who condemn terrorism and Jews who work for Palestinian rights. I see Joseph in those who do what needs to be done in leaving abusive spouses 
and those who have really good reason to stay with their spouses even when others thought that they should leave because they had been betrayed. Joseph's willingness to sacrifice his righteous reputation is a willingness to lose his life, his life as it's seen in other people's eyes. But it's also his finding his life. One could even call it his salvation. I'm not talking about eternal salvation here so much as rather Joseph being saved within his life by gaining a son he otherwise would have lost and a wife that he was tempted to leave. I see him serving the greater good of the world by raising and protecting this son that he and Mary share, taking him to Egypt when he heard that there might be others out to kill him. By doing what he does, think about it. He takes God into his home, into his family, into his life which brings me to what the name Jesus means. I told you already that his nickname, Emmanuel, means God with us. Well, Jesus means God saves. And when Joseph names his son Jesus, he does so not only because an angel told him to do so, but because he trusts the truth of the name. The truth of the dream at night is now the truth of daylight. The righteous do not even have the power to save, even when they claim they do by telling you their truth and promote their program. Joseph adopts the truth. He adopts Jesus, that it is God who saves. Second Presbyterian, finding direction by following Jesus.